you know, very exciting, a little bit fantastical, but you know, hey, cool robot sidekicks, right? From the Museum of Science in Boston, this is Pulsar, a podcast where we blast off for answers to the most inspiring questions we get from our visitors. I'm your host, Eric, and like so many people who I meet in our exhibit halls, I love science fiction. And while chatting about our favorite sci-fi movies and novels, a guest once wondered out loud whether science fiction authors started out as scientists or creative writers. To answer that question, I knew exactly who to turn to. After a fantastic career as an educator here at the Museum of Science, my friend Katie Slavensky went on to become a successful author. Katie, thanks so much for joining me on Pulsar. Thanks for having me, Eric. So a lot of times when we have sci-fi authors, some of them come more from the science world and then start writing fiction. And sometimes people are more from the art side and they write and they're good at writing and then they have to like learn the science to go. So which end did you start from? Can I say both? Yeah, both is an answer. Yeah, yeah. No, I, um, I'll i say this much. As a kid, I made two declarations by the time I was age seven, one that I wanted to be a children's author, and the other was that I wanted to be a paleontologist. And um, I went on to do both things. So I've stuck with one longer than the other. I'm still doing the author thing. I've backed away from the paleontology thing. But it did lead me down the road of getting to work at the Museum of Science in Boston for a long time where I kind of became a jack of all sciences. And my favorite was space. So that immediately started feeding into my my writing. Cool. Well, that is that's a lot of things. Like you said, it's, it's rare for someone to be able to do both of those things. So why don't we start with your education, like in school? So you said you wanted to be a paleontologist. Did that carry through all throughout school? Or is that something where you said by year 10 and then some different subjects in school took hold more of your interest? How did it work? Yeah, no, I stuck with it. <laughs> um, I was really into dinosaurs as a kid, and I was the dino kid, and that carried on for a long time. Um, I would say that in middle school, I began volunteering at my local zoo, and I began working there in high school and through college, and I remember at the end of high school thinking, like, do I want to become a zoologist and not a paleontologist? Do I want to switch it up? And even then with like my love of my zoo work and everything pulling me, it was like, oh, no, it's just too cool. I got it. I got to try it. So I went for and I ended up getting my master's and then ultimately realized that what I loved even more than doing paleontology research was sharing it with other people. So I ended up kind of transferring my skills over to the museum world. Yeah. And we are generalists because I feel like me, you, a lot of our other educators kind of we're just excited about any kind of science. There's people that are more narrow that are like, I really just want to focus on stellar evolution. And then there's us who like, you'll hear someone running down the hall and say, did you hear about the new discovery that was made? And it's something that nobody is an expert in, but we're just so excited about it. So it's hard to settle down and pick one area. That was the hardest part about paleontology for me because I kept having other interests. I remember in college, like I was taking courses in physics and genetics and all sorts of things that were just interesting to me. They weren't needed for my major, but I wanted to do them. And then when I went on to grad school and the whole message there is focus up, this is your one thing. I was like, what about all the other things though? Which I think is what really led me back to the world of museums. <laughs> so at the museum, you got to teach everything. Was there particular favorites that you had? 
Oh gosh. I mean, I really enjoyed it all. We did, you know, the lightning shows, the animal programs, all the physics presentations. Um, but I think the one that kind of came out of left field for me when I started at the museum uh, was astronomy because I came in and initially was told one of the reasons they wanted to bring me in was my paleontology background. And I walked in the door and the first thing they said was, we need you to teach our portable planetarium shows. And I said, oh, all right. They're like, do you like space? I'm like, well enough, I suppose, let's go. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the world of museums, right? You, you just, if you are a curious, eager, sciencey individual, like you will do well at a science museum. Like you just be open and, and go for it. Yes, I, I came in just being obsessed with space and everything about human spaceflight and astronomy and the latest discoveries. And you everybody finds their other things. Like like I said, we're all generalists. We love everything about science, but like anything about obviously dinosaurs, but things like whale evolution and the latest you know transitional fossils that are discovered showing like what whales look like 250 million years ago. It's just, it's funny how what you read one article one day and then the next year you're a little bit more into it and the next year a little bit more into it and then eventually you're teaching a whole course on it. Yeah, yeah. I love that, Eric, because we have uh, mirrored paths there. One of the primary groups of animals I studied as a paleontologist was ancient whales. And I, you know, worked on their their fossils, especially the transitory ones where they were, you know, still had legs and um, were still coming up onto the land and then I ended up um, having my other science interest that took hold was was space, right? That got me so interested. I was able to start teaching planetarium shows. Um, they ended up putting me in charge of their observatory program on the rooftop uh, that they used to run. And we yeah, just got to gaze up at the night sky with so many members of the public and hear you know, the wonder from everybody. And there's the same wonder I'd get from the planetarium shows. And the one that stuck with me the most was when I would do planetarium shows for kids and they would have the realization that it'd be their generation going to Mars. And nothing right. seemed to spark the kids more than that. Like, this is your mission. Like you're going to be taking this part of the space journey on. And that's what ultimately inspired my first published novel. Yeah, so what's the story there? Did you just start to hear that call a little bit more of I, I still want to be an author and I still want to do that did you do it kind of like in your spare time or did you say like okay it's time to go on another adventure and try something new how did it start out yeah I I never really stopped writing so I wrote my first book when I was in elementary school I always like to share the story that my teacher came around the classroom in second grade with a 15 minute creative writing assignment and we were meant to turn it in at the end of 15 minutes and I always turned in my work on time. I was a very, you know, quote unquote, good student, right? Like I, I didn't like to be late or break rules. And I was horrified when I was not done after 15 minutes. And I, I just looked at him. I must've looked like a little deer in the headlights. Like, oh, I'm not, I'm not Mr. Martinez. I'm not done. <laughs> he said the best thing any teacher could have ever said to me or to anyone. And he just said, you know what? Turn it in when you are done. And so I turned it into him two years later in fourth grade. <laughs> and, and that was my first book. And he did the great thing of every week he'd, during reading time, once a week, he'd read out the new chapter of my book to the class. So I had my first audience then too. And I really oh, started cool. to have 
identify myself as a writer and as an author. And so I attribute a lot to Mr. Martinez. He was great there. And since then, I've always been writing a book on the side. I remember that was one of the toughest things about ultimately going down the path of paleontology was because it required so much focus. And it's great work and it was fascinating, but it did drive out my ability to do side projects and other hobbies. And so once I transitioned away from the PhD career and I moved back into like a public education sphere, I realized that I had this time on my hands that maybe I could start writing more, more words again of any sort. So I tried to start a blog. I tried a few things, but I couldn't shake. I couldn't shake it. I had to write books. It was just always there, always with you. Yep. And at that point, I was far enough along in life where I realized, I think I could do this professionally. I know kid me said I wanted to be an author. And then I got a bit older and thought that was out of reach, but let's try. It took a lot of years of practice novels and and a lot of shelved works and things that didn't go anywhere except to teach me more about how to be a better author. And ultimately, it got me to the point where I was able to write a book that did get picked up by a publisher and been going since then. And that book is The Countdown Conspiracy. For our listeners who haven't read it yet, can you give us an overview? It's a story of six kids who are chosen to train for the first ever Mars mission. And one of those kids, Miranda, is from the United States. Every kid is from a different country around the world. It's an international effort. Um, it's meant to like symbolize peace and being ambassadors to a new world. Miranda, who's a little roboticist and is adorable in my opinion, um, she is so hardworking, but was so nervous about being chosen and then begins to start receiving threatening messages, basically telling her she was not picked for her skills. She was picked because of the country she came from. She was picked because of these political reasons. Like she needs to leave the program or people are going to start dying and like really dire things. And so it in a way is a little bit encapsulates the imposter syndrome that a lot of women face in science where they feel like they don't belong and somehow they snuck in. And so Miranda's kind of battling this through the story. And then of course, things do start exploding and danger really does strike. And I won't reveal too much more, but ultimately all the six kids of the program are put into extreme danger that they're very much not ready for. Um, and it's kind of up to Miranda to build the confidence to save everyone. How did you balance science with reality and telling a great story? That was incredibly important to me. That was the, the basis for the countdown conspiracy. And it's pretty much the basis for everything I write is that I want the science to be very grounded, very realistic. I'm not in the business of like making up anything too outlandish. Obviously it's a work of fiction. So I play a little fast and loose. I said it, what I called in the near future. So I didn't slap a date on it because I didn't want to commit to a certain date. I basically immersed myself in research into space programs, space travel. I watched a lot of NASA TV because <laughs> they have great live streaming things all the time. And so I just watched people up on the space station. Like I just have that running because they have those live feeds. And just from that alone, you could just really start to feel like what it must be like to be there. You'd get to observe the types of things they were doing for maintenance. We had some great exhibits come through the museum by happenstance around that time about that very thing. So I did some museum visits. I went down to the Kennedy Space Center and did a behind the scenes tour down there and got to really see, you know, what these control panels look like up close and, and the, the history of space travel and particularly like build out that sort of angle of it because 
I've never been to space, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never actually flown like a space shuttle myself. A very few people have. The best I could do was just go after every resource possible and immerse myself in it. And ultimately, I think that's what makes that book unique is there's a lot of books about kids in space and a lot of them lean towards the like alien side or the like going, you know, planet hopping or like things really far in the future. And they're all traveling at light speed and all that is super fun. But I was curious to see if I could make something feel like Apollo 13, but a story that had kids at its center and was, you know, obviously fictional, not <laughs> based on <laughs> based on reality. But that was kind of my my goal. So to wrap up, what kind of advice would you have for, I would say anybody who wants to be a writer and not just kids, but anybody who wants to just pick up a, you know, guys used to say pen, pick up a keyboard, just sit down and tell a story. Is there any kind of thing that you've learned that would be the most useful for somebody who wants to give it a shot? I'd say listen to your heart, which sounds cheesy, but <laughs> what pulls you, what has interested you? Because that is going to be where you're going to have the most compelling story to tell in turn. So as a kid, I was obsessed with Star Wars. That was my thing. And so you can see that feeling going forward in my books, right? Like, you know, very exciting, a little bit fantastical, but, you know, hey, cool robot sidekicks, right? Like, oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but the, um, but I think that a lot of times people put such a focus on creating something new that they don't do enough reflecting on what has built them as a creative. So my advice would be sit down, list out, you know, half a dozen things that have really impacted you in life and let your brain mull those over. And from there, you're going to start to see some really interesting ideas spark. All right. Well, Katie, thanks for talking to us all about how to become an author and your journey. Well, thank you. This was fun. To keep up with Katie and her upcoming book releases, visit katieslevensky.com. And be sure to visit the public events section of our website, mos.org, for all of our different book clubs for scientists of all ages. Until next time, keep asking questions. <laughs>